despite the cliche, uh, despite how many times you may have heard it, I want you to know that you are not here by accident this morning. I want you to know that. I want you to know that there is a very intentional plan for you to be here. Uh, it's not by accident. You see, for us in the Christian faith, there's no such thing as coincidence. Not even luck, really. I know that might shock some of you, but there's no such thing as luck. Because luck would imply that, would imply that there's some kind of random force out there in the universe. You know, that there's some random chance that if, you know, you're at the right place at the right time, something good will happen. And if you're not, well, that's just bad luck. Uh, you know, um, for us as Christ followers, we believe the absolute opposite of that. We believe that there is a very intentional creator that has some very intentional plans for his children. You could say this morning, friends, that God has an appointment with you. He has a specific plan to meet you here this morning. And the fact that you're here doesn't mean that you're being manipulated by him. It doesn't mean that you're being manipulated by someone else or that you're a victim of you know, random circumstance. No, it simply means that you've already taken one step closer towards him. So well done. Well done on receiving the invitation that that yes this morning that you said by coming here. Well done. We're really proud of you. And uh, you must know that God has been longing for this time together with you. That's also what we're celebrating in Christmas. And just bear with me. This is all going somewhere, I promise. Whether, whether, whether this is your first time or your hundredth time, God loves it when his children gather together as the church to worship him. And this kind of leads me to the subtitle of our message this morning, I guess, which is, hello, my name is Emmanuel. Nice to meet you in person. Nice to meet you in person. It sounds like quite a weird title, and that's not me talking, by the way. My name's Lloyd, okay? I'm, I'm referencing a scripture. It's from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It's a prophecy written about Jesus some 700 years before he was born. This is what it says. Therefore, the Lord himself, not a person, not another organization, not a country, not a spouse, the Lord himself will give you a son. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. For another 20,000 heaven points. What does uh, Emmanuel mean? God with us. Yes, okay. So I know who I'm talking to this morning. Some seasoned theologians in the house. I like it. God with us. Emmanuel means God with us. And it may seem like quite a strange title, this, this hello, my name is Emmanuel thing. But I wonder how often in modern society and even, I guess, in modern day Christianity, we get caught up in the notion that God is this man upstairs. You know, the proverbial big guy with a beard in the distance who always seems to have missed his morning cup of coffee. He always seems so grumpy. You know, when you see those illustrations, like this, this, this God figure, this, this preconceived idea about who he is, that he always seems so angry with people. Like he's missed his double espresso this morning. By the way, can we just honor and thank Mac, our barista, for the coffees this morning? Um, yeah, this is definitely the biggest service we've had, I think, in this building. So thank you so much, Mac. I know you're out there somewhere. Thank you so much for, uh, for serving us uh, that way. It's amazing coffee and it's free. I mean, come on. What's not to love about that, right? Um, but what about this? What about the other preconceived idea that, you know, there are a select few people that have this direct line, supposedly, to this big man upstairs, you know, while the rest of us, we just stuck with, I don't know, BBM <laughs> or Mix It. Who remembers Mix It? Anyone remember? Oh, yes. Okay. The guys younger than 20 are going like, what on earth are you talking about? Mixit was this very old school uh, messaging platform. And when the person was online, the name was in green and you get so excited. They're online. I can speak to them. Um, what about the other preconceived idea that no matter how hard you try, despite your best efforts, no matter what you try and do in terms of trying to live right, you can never seem to reach the standard required to earn God's attention or affection. 
That's also what's out there. This, this idea about who God is. Well, my hope in sharing a short message with you this morning, friends, is that you will discover, perhaps even for the first time, that besides just the opening of gifts on Christmas Day and having too much trifle, there is, in fact, a heavenly purpose to the 25th of December. And despite how familiar this nativity scene might be to you, we heard some of the kids talking about it, I want to introduce to you that the birth of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago still speaks to us today about another key role player in that story. You. You. You are connected to the message of that manger. You see, there would have been no reason for the Savior's sending if there wasn't a problem to correct, a tension to solve, some kind of situation to fix. And that was because the world, you see, was stuck in this awkward problem called sin. This thing that seems to control us, keep us bound, keep us disconnected, frustrated even with ourselves and with people around us, that things weren't going according to plan for us as the human race. And Jesus came to provide the solution to that problem of sin. He came to bring reconciliation. He came to bring redemption. And the fact that you're included in the story by you know, the, the virtue of the extent of that saving power, it means that you have a role to play this morning, friends. You have a response to make to the message that's contained in the Christmas story. It's not the sort of role, though, that you would imagine if you were on the stage in one of those nativity scenes, you know, one of the characters getting dressed up like you had to act or perform a certain way, as wonderful as that would be. Um, you know, just another lighthearted, humorous story at my own expense. Um, but if there was one subject in high school that I hate a strong way, I'm saying you know, hated uh, and got nauseous at the thought of, it was arts and culture. It, it was just one of those subjects where I would physically feel nauseous when I saw that thing on the timetable, arts and culture, after first break or whatever. I think that's probably because I'm the world's worst actor, artist. I can't sing, I can't draw, I can't do anything. So when it came time to those Christmas plays, <laughs> shame. I think the, I think the, the uh, teachers just thought to themselves, look, you know, this is a poor, okay, like let's, let's, um, how can we make him feel included, but not give him too much that he ruins the whole thing? So they actually said to me that one day, you know what, Lloyd, we're going to dress you up as grass. So all we want you to do is go lie on the stage and be very still. Can you do that for me? And I was like, yeah, I think I can do it. I still hated it. I mean, despite the fact that I lay there for half an hour. Um, But the fact that you're included in the Christmas story and have a role to play doesn't mean that you have some acting to do. It's not that kind of response. It's not that kind of role. You don't have to put on a performance of any kind. I'm going somewhere this morning, friends. Rather, instead of you having to put on a performance, instead of you having to get up onto the stage, the director of the play, the main character himself, Jesus, he wants to step down from the stage for a moment. He wants to pull up a chair next to you. He wants to meet you where you're at, and he wants to say, hello, my name is Emmanuel. I'm the one you've been writing about, thinking about, singing about, getting upset at even from time to time ignoring. But it's okay. I'm here now. And it's wonderful to meet you in person. That's the message of Christmas. You see, this is what it's primarily about. A loving God, the one who is the creator, the one who is outside of time, made an intentional decision to reveal himself in time, in the person of Jesus, so that he could live the life we couldn't and die the death that we should have, so that we could be in right relationship with him. He came to meet you so that you wouldn't act or perform or have to act or perform your way into meeting him. 
You know, the historical fact of the birth of Jesus is why we are celebrating this day. You can thank the church for that. All over the world, people opening presents is because of the historical fact of Jesus' birth. And without sounding too overly dramatic about the whole thing, you could say that the purpose of Christmas is that it is divinely historical and intensely personal. The birth of Jesus is divinely historical and intensely personal. Let's have a look at John chapter 1, verses 14 to 18. It's a well-known passage of Scripture quoted a lot around this time, and it's for very good reason. It says this, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who's, who, who's the Word that they're talking about? Jesus, right? We observed His glory. This is John writing, saying we, we've seen Him. The glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this was the one of whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I love that. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. God chose to reveal himself accurately and personally in the sending of his son, Jesus. That is divinely historical. Now, John's writing and he says, we've seen him. We felt him. We experienced him. It's a well-documented fact, this heaven's purpose for mankind. You know, if you just think about it for one moment, just think about those gospels. You know, they were either telling a really silly lie or the ultimate truth. Because no one's going to write a letter, right, a few years after an event has happened and say, oh, you know what, I saw such and such a guy do such and such a thing at this time at this place. Obviously, the people in that town are going to go, well, okay, we were there and we don't know what you're talking about. So, you know, myth disproved sort of thing. I mean, it would either have to be completely false and really, you know, silly so or absolutely true because this thing wouldn't have lived 2,000 years later, right, if it wasn't. And so what they're saying is they actually did see him. They touched his hands. They felt the gaze of love in his eyes. They saw the tears roll down his face when he wept. These disciples heard the anguish in his voice when he cried out, it is finished, and they touched the scars in his side when he rose again. May I put it to you this morning, friends, that these men that, that told these stories are still yet to be disproven. It's a divinely historical fact, the birth of Jesus. And secondly, it's intensely personal. It's intensely personal. You know, God wants you to know him as you are known by him. God wants you to know him as you are known by him. There's no second guessing that this is the ultimate bridge. This story of Jesus is the ultimate bridge between a disconnected humanity and an eternal father who, longed, who longs for a relationship with you and me, his prized possession. This was the bridge. Jesus was the gap. <laughs> you know, we often say that in Christian circles, I stand in the gap for someone. Jesus stood in the gap for us. He brought us into reconciliation with an eternal father. And he came as the father incarnate. That's a big Christian word. It, it just means in the flesh. Eternal holiness in the flesh to meet us in this place. You know, I've often wondered also why, God, why, why would you send a baby? You know, if you are God, if you are creator of the universe, why wouldn't you just, you know, save mankind in a second? Wave your heavenly wand and it will all be, all be done. May I suggest to you this morning, friends, that partly because of what we are talking about, God wanted to reach mankind personally. And in order to do that, he had to become a person, just like you and me. We know that personal relatability goes a long way when it comes to walking with someone, right? Someone that's been through a divorce is very well equipped to minister to someone that's going through one. 
There's no one that can minister to someone who's lost a child like someone who's lost a child. This thing of personal relatability means a lot. And you see, we can relate to God in the person of Christ because he felt as we feel. He walked as we walked. He ate and drank as we eat and drink. And he gave his life so that we could find ours in him. The story of Christmas, this eternal God becoming a man was the perfect plan to rescue an imperfect humanity. And friends, despite all the cliches and the concerns and I suppose even the criticisms of, of, of Christmas of this time of year, I want you to know that the message of hope, the message of peace, the message of joy and the message of love remains. It's still here and you have a part to play. You and I have an opportunity this morning to receive from the director. You, have, you and I have the opportunity to receive from the director of the play this morning, a face-to-face with God himself through his Holy Spirit. And your response is not, it's not another item to add to your Christian to-do list. It's not that kind of role. It's not that kind of response. Rather, it's a question that says, what do I need to do in my heart this morning, Lloyd? What do I need to do to get closer to the person that heaven says I am? What do I need to do this morning? With all of the Christmas message and the things we see around us, what do I need to do this morning so that on the 1st of January, I don't go back to the same, to the same experiences that I, that I had coming in here? You know, we always say this in church that we don't just want you to have a good experience. We want you to have a real encounter. My earnest prayer is that all of us this morning would leave having had an encounter with this eternal God that we're talking about. And I want to, I want to help us frame that response this morning because we have a response to make, right? We have a role to play in the story. And I want to help us frame that response by looking at the three wise men um, who, although are, are, are written about in this, you know, um, uh, narration, they have some amazingly powerful principles that we can apply today that help us in this conversation. And it's, it's from a text in Matthew chapter 2. And I'm going to read a few verses and then we're going to just um, un- unpack it together this morning. But it says this, uh, sorry, is it Matthew chapter 1? Sorry, Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. A couple of interesting things to note from this text. Um, firstly, we don't exactly know how many wise men there were, uh, despite what we see in the, in the, you know, the little um, uh, pictures and, and uh scenes of the of the story we don't exactly know how many there were the common understanding is that there were three because there's three gifts that were listed but actually there's no reference in scripture for how many uh, in fact we know most scholars say that there could have been as many as 12 uh, in the home of Jesus that day and that's kind of the second interesting point notice how it says they went to the home where Jesus was the bible says that they entered this house where he was they weren't at the manger when Jesus was, was born. This was sometime after his birth when these wise men came and brought these gifts. And they probably would have seen Jesus at around about two years old. Toddler. Imagine. I mean, I'm sure there's many of us thinking here that, you know, I may get down on my knees for a toddler, but it wouldn't be to pay them homage. It would be to give them a hiding of sorts. Um, that's what I'll get on my knees for. But um, this is the context of the story. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reference it again just now. But this really helps us frame our response. As we look at some of these intricate parts, let's, let's, let's go to Matthew 2, verse 9 to 13. So these wise men go to King Herod. They ask where Jesus is. And after hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house. Can I ask you to do something cheesy with me this morning? Can you say entering the house? 
entering the house. They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. It's, it's a beautiful account of how these wise men, these guys were, were of great knowledge, great influence, great renown, worshipped this young boy, a toddler, as king of heaven. Kind of changes the picture slightly, hey, when you view it in that sort of context. And so what did these three wise men know? What, 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 did, they, what did they have intrinsically on the inside that, that prompted such a response? What were, what were steps that they followed? What were the three things that caused them to be mentioned in the Bible? 2,000 years later, we're still talking about them. What was some of the things that they carried in the inside of them that caused them to respond to the birth of Jesus in this way? Well, firstly, we read in that text that they followed a star to come to the place where Jesus was. There was the follow. There was the follow. You know, it's true, friends, this morning that all of us are following something. Whether we believe it or not, we all have something that guides our decision-making. It forms our belief structure that guides our steps, don't we? And without going into too much, you know, detail or background in terms of worldviews, I want to do a study of worldviews this morning, but whether you have a naturalistic worldview, a monistic worldview, or of course a theistic worldview, there is something to which you ascribe value. There's something to which you ascribe value that governs the way you interact with yourself and with the world around you. And of course, you know, we have to give a reason for why we ascribe value to that particular worldview, don't we? There has to be a reason why we hold these set of beliefs. It's true. And in looking at the story of the wise men, I wondered how many of us this morning have been following something, but yet haven't quite found what you're looking for. You were following something that you thought would bring you to the place of inner peace, but it hasn't. You felt for a while the sense of, incompleteness in some way. You know, what I mean. you, you know what I mean. No matter how many businesses you acquire, no matter how many people you get in your corner, no matter how much fame you get to your name, it hasn't brought you the, the soul satisfaction that you know you need. It's like you've followed what looked like a star, but it hasn't brought any true light in your life to lead your way. Maybe this morning, if I could get a little bit prophetic, don't worry, I'm not going to bust out in song. If I could get a little bit prophetic, God might be saying to you this morning, friends, um, please don't substitute the star for a stereotype. Please don't substitute the star for a stereotype. Don't, don't stop short at the true value of Christianity because you followed something that could never replace the life-giving presence of God in your life. Please don't stop short. I want to encourage you this morning. Please know that Jesus will reveal himself to you. In fact, he already has. So just look up. The wise men looked up and they saw the star. Just look up. Look up and follow the true star that takes you to the light of the world, the person of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 9 verse 2. How's this for a prophecy? The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Friends, this morning, the light of the world is Emmanuel. He's saying, it's nice to meet you in person. I'm the one you've been looking for. I'm the one you've been waiting for. Hebrews 1, verses 3 to 4, in explaining who this Jesus is, says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory 
We could spend all day just on that. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature. The exact expression of his nature. God is in the birth of Jesus Christ, sustaining all things by, the, by, the, by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became superior to the angels, just as the name that he inherited is more excellent than theirs. Friends, let's not substitute the star for a stereotype this morning. And I promise we'll do whatever we can as a church to shine as bright a light as possible on the true star, the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that you can see him for who he is. Amen. Secondly, the wise men not only followed the star to come to where Christ was, but they found him where he was, the find, the find. And I was wondering about this, this, this scripture again this morning, and I wondered if you've ever embarked on a journey of following Jesus. Maybe, maybe it's for the first time, or maybe you've been following him for a while. I wonder if you would expect to find him in the way that you imagined. You know, I know in my own life, God has revealed himself to me time and time again in ways that I didn't expect or could never have imagined. You know, like when I trusted God for a breakthrough in some, in some area and instead of providing the breakthrough, he closed the door. I'm going, God, what are you doing? You know, I'm trusting you for this thing. I'm serving you, you know, I'm following you. I'm doing everything I can. It's that thing earlier that I was talking about, trying to earn God's affection, you know. Or I said, God, thank you so much for this thing that I've been trusting you for. And then he seemed to take it away. And I thought this thing was going to be here to stay. And there were, there were times in my life, seasons, where I missed the miracle simply because it didn't come packaged in the way that I would have expected it to. There was a miracle that God was doing in my life, but yet it, it just looked different. And I missed it. And I missed it. And just imagine for a moment in the context of the story of Christmas, what we're celebrating today across the whole world, what the message of the Messiah in a manger would have meant to those who were waiting for this king to arrive. You know, that's what the, that's what the Jews were, were, were expecting. They were expecting this king in grandeur with a royal procession and fierce anger, you know, violence, strength to redeem this nation that was held in captivity. What does God do? He sends a child. He sends a child. Not what we would expect. I mean, surely this can't be him. It's a child. He's, he's a newborn. How can, he be, how can he be the Christ? He's born in a manger. Where's the... Where's the lights? Where's the royal procession? Where's the mighty army that's going to deliver us? Now, God, what are you doing? How can you come in this way? This is not what we were expecting. But you see, in God's economy, in God's kingdom, the order of things looks a little different to how you and I would imagine. You know, John Bloom, uh, in an article uh, that he wrote for Desiring God, in response to this question of prayers being answered in unexpected ways, he said this. He said, with regards to, God, to God's answers to prayer, Expect the unexpected. Most of the greatest gifts and deepest joys that God gives us come wrapped in painful packages. We're often un unprepared for the answers we receive from God. His answers frequently do not look at first like answers. They look like problems. They look like trouble. They look like loss, disappointment, affliction, conflict, sorrow, and increased selfishness. They cause deep soul wrestling and expose sins and doubts and fears. They are not what we expect, and we often do not see how they correspond to our prayers. Friends, just like the wise men didn't stop at the door of the house because it wasn't what they were expecting. When you're on your journey of finding, please don't stop at the door of your salvation. 
please don't stop at the door of your salvation, your breakthrough moment, simply because it didn't look the way that you had in mind. Expect to find him where you least expected him to be. The Savior came as a child, friends. Foolishness to those who didn't perceive him, worthy of worship to those who were open enough to receive him as Lord. Don't stop at the door and miss the invitation. Please enter the house. Please enter the house this morning and you'll find the Savior. Revelation 3.20. This is Jesus. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, can everyone say opens the door? Opens the door. I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is saying to us this morning, church, please come in. I've been waiting to meet you face to face. My name is Emmanuel, God with you. God with you. And then finally, the wise men followed the star. They found the Savior. And when they did, they fell down to their knees and they worshipped him. It's the fall. The fall. Not the fall as in the fall of man, but the fall, the, the, the falling to one's knees in worship. You know, those, those details that I mentioned just now about Jesus being roughly two years old when the wise men came to meet him kind of bears mentioning at this point. As we said just now, what on earth could these wise men have received for themselves by worshiping a child who in that moment could do nothing for them? Anyone here, parents of toddlers, two years and younger? You're, you're the lifeline, right? They, they can, there's very little that they can actually do for you. What could have possibly been the reason why they felt the need to respond to the sight of the Savior in this way? You know, and if we're honest, um, I'm sure there's lots of people that are probably still asking that same question today. You know, saying, Lloyd, this sounds all great and wonderful, but so what if I find the star? So what if I find the Savior? What could he possibly do for me that could possibly warrant such a response? And maybe you've also asked that same question. Maybe you know someone that has. Maybe you've even found him, you know, been at church, heard a message, sang a song, prayed a prayer. But you're like, you know what? I'm okay without him. It's okay. I'm, you know, I don't really see what he could add to my life right now. I'm happy doing things on my own. You know, we've dismissed him, the Savior. Well, the question that the wise men asked was a little different to that one, you see. It wasn't, what could I get out of this? It was a question that revealed a change of heart, kind of uh, purity, if you will, kind of abandonment of self. It's not about me. It's an awareness of worth of someone else. And then the question that they asked was not, what could God do? What could this toddler do for me if I worshipped him? But who am I becoming when I worship him? You see, the acknowledgement of the Savior for who he is, the greatest gift of, or to humanity, the righteous, the eternally perfect Son of God, means that I find my proper place at the story. This is where I find my true role in the nativity scene, friends, when I acknowledge the Savior for who he is. You see, I don't worship God so that he can be more God. He is already God all by himself. I worship God to remind myself that I am not. I worship God to remind myself that I am in deep need of my Savior. And this is what the wise men had. This is the, this is the purity of heart. This is the question that they asked of themselves. And friends, the story of Christmas is that a loving father, he extended his grace and mercy to a people that were without ability to receive it. They weren't able to earn themselves to, 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 this, to this right standing relationship with God. We kept on missing the mark. 
You know, you, know, you know what I mean by that. We all miss the mark every day, don't we? You and I know very well that on the first week of January, you're going to look at the dumbbells in your garage and you're going to say, I'm starting tomorrow. But you also know very well that after that session, you're going straight to the deep freeze to defrost that leftover trifle and the New Year's resolution is gone. You know very well that's going to happen. You know, our own consciences prove that we couldn't keep things together. We fell short of the standard. Our own standard, let alone God's standard. And this is the beauty of the Christmas message, friends. This is what it means to fall, that Christ came to be the standard for us. Christ came to be that standard, to be the eternal payment for us and to redeem and restore that which was lost so that we, in response, just like the wise men when they saw Jesus face to face, would fall on our knees and acknowledge he is God. He is God. He is worthy of our praise and worship. This is our true response. This is our role in the story of Christmas. You know, as worshippers of the Messiah in the manger, the king of the whole world, he was born to make room in your heart for you to be born again. That's the power. Christ was born so that we could be born again. We could go from sinners to sons. We could go from lost to found. We could go from bound, trapped to free. And I give everything I am to worship Jesus, not because it benefits me, but because of who Jesus is and who I am becoming when I do so. Colossians 1 verse 13 to 19 is my final piece of scripture this morning. I'll close with this verse talking about Jesus and the work that he did. It says he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Man, that is so beautiful. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Who is he? He's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him. Things in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. Jesus, he's also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. It's such a beautiful passage of Scripture. And friends, this morning, um, as we follow the example of the wise men set out in this nativity scene for us this Christmas, could we be encouraged to firstly follow Him? Follow Him. Look, look for the star that shines the light of heaven on your path. Just look up. Just look up. Look for that star. And when you do, find Him. Please find Him. Please don't stop at the door. Please open and enter the house. Don't overlook the humble and unexpected places where, where he might be waiting for you to receive him. And when you do, may we be encouraged this morning to fall. Fall. Just fall in honest, authentic worship and say, Christ the Redeemer, the chosen Son of God, is first place in your life. Amen. Church, could you stand with me as we close this morning in a word of prayer? I, uh, I see that I've stuck to my promise, finishing within time. So uh, the Sunday roast won't be burnt. Don't worry. ESCOM also, by the way, wishes us a Merry Christmas. No load shedding. So uh, from our substation to your home, thank you, ESCOM. We, we do appreciate that this morning. Um, but friends, um, I really did feel on my heart in just preparing for today that I wanted to create a moment at the end of the service just to pray for you. Um, and to invite this Jesus that we've been speaking about to 
make himself known to you uh, so that you would see him for who he is. And I'm not going to make this uh, a long and drawn out and complicated thing, but I would like everyone just in a moment of worship, just to close your eyes and bow your heads with me just for one second, uh, just as a way of honoring the moment and honoring those around us. I want to ask, just ask a question this morning that if you are here for the first time or, or, or in, in any church uh, and have been thinking about this Jesus that people have been speaking about, maybe you've heard about him a hundred times before, but you, you just, you're standing at the door. <laughs> You followed maybe even, but you haven't found him yet. I want you to know this morning that part of the intentional plan that God had in mind is that this would be your morning to find him. And I'm really privileged to stand alongside you and <clears throat> just lead us in a very, very simple prayer. Um, you know, we know that we need a savior. Our consciences have confirmed that we mess things up, but the good news is Jesus came as, as the solution to that. And uh, if that is you this morning, if you're saying, you know what, Lord, I know I need to say yes to you. I'm not going to embarrass anyone in any way, but I would like just a response of some kind. If that is you, would you mind just raising your hand just very, very briefly, long enough for me to see it and then, and, then, and then you can put it back down. Just say, you know what, Lord, today is my day for saying yes to you. I'm saying yes. I've done things my own way and it hasn't worked out, but today is the turning point. This Christmas will be me being born again. Thank you so much. I'm just going to take a moment and pray and if you wouldn't mind just following after me, you can pray out loud or pray quietly in your hearts. And church, if you wouldn't mind just praying along with me, just in support of those that raised their hand, it would, I would really um, appreciate it this morning. It's a very, very simple prayer. It simply goes like this, and you're welcome to just repeat it after me. Just say, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came to save me. Forgive me of my sins and set me free. This morning, I receive you as Lord and Savior. Come into my life. Make me new and make me clean. Holy Spirit, please help me live this out the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, can we give God a shout of praise and worship this morning?